friends and welcome back to Operation Opera. Elise and I had a fantastic conversation with conductor, coach, pianist, you name it, uh, in the opera world. Kathleen Kelly uh, can do pretty much everything. She has some wonderful ideas and interesting thoughts and, and perspectives on on this sort of developing conversation in the world today, this sort of branching out from the Me Too conversation into, into motherhood specifically. And we talked a lot about that and enjoy. So Kathy, I've, I'm so excited that we get to chat today because I've yeah. just, I was just so Im- intrigued and, and I think impressed is a good word too, by, by the courage that it takes to talk about some of the things that, that you've been really vocal with recently. And um, yeah, I just wanted to kind of jump right in and, and, and talk about some of this stuff. So what was it that was sort of the catalyst for you? Um, it, it's been, it, it actually has come in a couple of stages. Um, first of all, I want to thank you guys for this conversation. Um, one, of the, one of the things that's beautiful about, about this period is that I think many of us are finding that as we speak ourselves and also try to like uphold other people who are speaking about their experience that there's actually a lot of support starting to be around for that and and there certainly wasn't that same support like earlier in my life and so as as crazy as the world seems to be right now there's (laughs) it gives me a lot of reason to hope because um I do feel people are working toward making like safety and space and support for all kinds of different stories in human life that have just been, you know, where, where space has not traditionally been made for those stories. Absolutely. Um, So, so that's all good. I mean, that's obviously the me too movement is a big part of this. What amazes me is that me too has been around for like 10 years Hmm. and uh, you know, like a lot of people, I I heard about it relatively recently within the last year. Um, there was something that happened here at U of M um, before the election. It was the day that the Access Hollywood tape aired on, on television. That, Yikes. Um, one, of, one of the many, you know, inspiring moments um, in, right. the, in the current political saga, right? And it was just, it was really something to have just that that smearing image that that image of of two guys talking one way about a woman or about women in general behind their backs and then when they meet the woman face to face there's a whole there's a whole different it's attitude being very very presented. different experience isn't it yeah. and yet as a woman you know you know it sorry yeah and, and and well, I think that's what was so that's what was so powerful about it is that you see them you see them doing that sort of like hey great to see you introduction and she's like like she's got a smile on her face but her speech isn't warm yet and she's trying to read them and you know and we've just been privy to their their completely classless and you know, inhuman sort of conversation. Right there. Yeah. And I wonder if that didn't make a, exactly. And I wonder if that didn't make a lot of women kind of go, okay, wait a minute. Maybe I'm not nuts for, you know, being the only woman in a group of guys and thinking, what, why is this energy weird? And then, and then after that to have, to have, all of that just kind of dismissed as locker room talk by, by men and by women, because you don't have to be a man to be a misogynist. Um, Just, just to have people essentially doing a sort of like, well, boys will be boys. I mean, don't blow this out of proportion. And it just, all of that happened at a time in my life when, you know, recently I made the move from working in opera houses to working at universities and I'm surrounded every day by women in their twenties. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I had female mentors who were very important to me. And 
I learned from them. I, I learned from them what was okay to talk about and wasn't okay to talk about. And at a couple of very important junctures of, in my life, when, you know, when, when I was sexually harassed at work and went to an older female colleague for, for advice, like, what do you advice, do when yeah. this happens? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the unequivocal response I received was what had worked for them, which was, you know, just let it go. Don't take it serious. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Let it go. Don't, don't make it, don't make a big deal out of it. Don't make it bigger than it is. And so what I ended up deciding to do was to write a blog post on my professional blog that was, was pretty simple. It was, it was six, one or two sentence stories about just six different things that had been said to me in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of them are like really low level sexual harassment, right? That there's nothing, you know, there, there are no attack stories. There are no rape stories. There's no, there's no obvious, you know, you don't get this job because kind of story. Sure. But just like six embarrassing, you know, infuriating little instances and they weren't even things that I had like kept secret all these years. Anyone who's my good friend would know all six of those things, mm-hmm. but you know, I don't say them to colleagues. I don't say them to students. So I just, I just wrote that. And I must, I mean, I had well over 200 people contact me like here in the halls at school or over email to, to say how significant it was. To me too. See I, yeah. Yeah, and this is all pre-Me Too. I mean, Me Too was going on lots of other places, but this big explosion of Me Too, I think this this has clearly been um, Tara, I can't remember the last name of the woman who started the movement. She's been working on that for 10 years, but I, I think it's all part of big tide where women in the middle of their careers are starting to turn around and say to women and also to men coming up like here's what my experience has been like maybe let's maybe let's try to hold out a hand to one another and and say some of this stuff in the open and so so that's how that's how all of that got started and as I talked to people more and more I started to not only I certainly not learn for the first time but think about this separate um the, this subset of activity where um, people are very obviously and painfully discriminated against for being mothers. Um, mm. And that's really, uh, that, that's, that's a really loaded subject because we like revere mothers in the right. United States. We get really sentimental about like mother and child stuff, but we really don't like honor and take care of that situation yeah Yeah, exactly no we revere them you put them on a pedestal and if mm -hmm. you leave them there you know like they do need to eat you know they do need to be able to (laughs) walk around you know you can't just put them up there they're not made of alabaster right so right (laughs) so so i think that that's that's like an escalation of you know having having people like i don't know comment on what you're wearing or you know, that, that kind of like low level hum of harassment at work that can happen and the extent to which you're encouraged to act like it doesn't matter to you or to, you know, to act like you can take it, then you amplify that for people who are mothers. I mean, you're supposed to be a mother, but never, ever let anyone think that you're tired or that <laughs> it's hard or that you need something because the minute you do that, you're not like viably professional anymore you're not capable um yeah right right and and guys are and i mean guys are just i mean straight up never um subjected to any of that in exactly the same way certainly i've heard from a lot of guy friends that they've gotten um comments like oh it's too bad you have a family because that's going to make things harder for you but but guys never have somebody say well you know he's a new father i wonder if he can handle this part right right Whereas i've i've heard yeah i've heard multiple stories like that about women it's like right. i mean camille zamora told me one i mean she made that public that um at one point she was asked to re-audition for a part um that she had auditioned for and not been cast and then the production had been canceled for some reason so they were doing it again and so somebody asked for her and her agent replied and said, well, she auditioned before and, you know, you didn't cast her. So happy to sing again, but just wondering if there's, 
you know, we don't, we don't want to waste your time, you know, sure. and, and the, and the producer um, replied with an email saying, well, it was probably a mistake not to cast her, but she had just had a baby. And so we were wondering if she could take on the responsibility of a new role. Clearly, if she was doing the yeah. audition, she felt that she right. could handle it. <laughs> it's not it's, like she right, exactly. with the breastfeeding child on her person while she sang, you know, <laughs> like, right. Right. Or he walked into the audition was like, oh, is this for a big important part? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, so yeah, I, I probably just rambled way too much, but no, um, no, no, there, there's, there's some of the stuff around it. I guess, I guess I would encapsulate it by saying um, I had, I had wonderful female mentorship in my life, but there, I also got really, really clear instruction from those women, as well as from the men that I worked with about, about what was on the table to talk about and what wasn't on the table to talk about. Yeah. And I feel like we get, we got a lot of women in leadership. Now we can start, we can, you, you, we create our culture together. We can create something that works better. I completely agree. I, I had this yes. idea as you were talking, <laughs> I had this idea as you were talking about that. Like, mm-hmm. So I, I sort of have two minds about this subject because on one hand, so I grew up with all brothers in my house, like, okay. and I learned how to, in some ways, be a boy, which meant like, you don't, you know, sure. you have to kind of just fight your way through, right? You got to be really physical, mm-hmm. very in it. <laughs> and, um, mm-hmm. and so I, I, I feel like if someone says something to me that makes me feel uncomfortable, you know, I, I can, you, you have two choices, right? And you were talking about this, like either you, you kind of let it go and you push it away or you can say something, but their culture has to be there to support like what you're talking about, that if you say something, one, that you really have the space to say it. And two, that like, even if it is something hard to hear, like that you can do it in a nice way. And also that the person like can have enough strength in themselves to not be like crumbling. If, if someone says something like, Hey, maybe this isn't, you know, this isn't okay. Like, you know, please don't talk about my skirt or whatever. (laughs) Right. Right. You, 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 sorry. What? You go ahead, Kathy. I'll, I'll, I'll remember. Oh, uh, um, I didn't mean to, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. I, so do you want, this, this happens all the time when we're doing the, the nature I'm, of audio I'm only just the one that like climbs <laughs> over everyone because I too forget. Elisa <laughs> always remembers. Oh my God. No, I do that too. <laughs> I, would, I just wanted to say, I love the way you put that. There has to be, there has to be space to, to say something without like major social and like life consequences and there has to be the the willingness to to hear what's being said. I mean, everybody everybody needs to have that same equal agency, right? Yeah. Um, so, and 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 that's part of the inequity that we're talking about. Um, even just in the in the subtle way that that most most people I know are comfortable with the idea that you should be tough and let small things roll off of you and not make such a big deal. Well, that that's that's because we've agreed to a certain paradigm right that mm-hmm. if if you're trying to join a club where other people have got agency and power you kind of accept their rules and part of what you're showing by being game is you're you're agreeing to play by those rules so questioning questioning the 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 culture and the paradigms of the culture is is tricky because you're kind of going up against those rules um and the closer you are as a person to sort of matching what that culture is, the less it feels like a stretch. And so the less you'll probably be aware of what the rules actually are. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot to talk. There's a lot of nuance and a lot to talk about in there. Um, and we got to, it's, it's great to be in, at a time where there's so much conversation about empowering people um, further away from the center mm-hmm. to talk and say what their experience is and to encourage people who are closer to the center to like 
open up their ears and listen to what people are saying from outside of their experience. Mm -hmm. Like maybe there we can really get somewhere. And it's going to be a painful process initially, right? It's going to be hard. There's going to be a learning curve and it's going to be like, wait, that's offensive. Wait, that's offensive. Yeah, actually it kind of is. (laughs) Like maybe maybe if I said that to you in a different way, you might not like it, right? Like men don't like to hear about women talking about, you know, like, uh things having to do with their bodies right like certain mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. they don't they don't want to hear about that they don't like to be compared to like right they don't and women laugh right. about this whatever right? this is a thing and and Absolutely. so if we have respect then we don't talk about those things right and you don't make right them, exactly right be respectful right respect is it's a thing <laughs> it, it is actually a thing right yeah. well, well and also part of the pain too is just like accepting if you're closer to the center accepting that you might have to put as much energy into thinking about what you say why you say it and how it might sound to somebody else as people who are farther away from the center have to put in yes yeah you know and i definitely i mean i'm definitely experiencing like i definitely am hearing a lot of people express discomfort at having to work harder right yeah. yes and, be, and, and, and yeah sorry and don't want to do but, it but, it's too much effort they just want to give up well people are just too needy right. or people are you know why is everyone making such a big deal out of it they just want to kind of sweep it under the rug and stick you know, with the status right. quo and why all this effort and, and, yeah and i think part of what people are saying through that is um i I liked the world where just like where I considered myself to be in a, in, a, in the world was in a place where I didn't have to put this kind of thought in, right. you know, why, like, why, well, like part of my worldview is I get to say what I want. Right. 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 Why does that have to change? So yeah. here's the thing with that, that comes with a price, right? And the price is yeah. you get to say what you want. I get to say what I want too. And that needs to be okay. And there needs to be space. So I grew up in a home with a mother and she'll probably listen to this. And I love her. My mother (laughs) says whatever is on her mind, whenever it comes to her. I grew up in a home. My mom is awesome. Also. Yes. Let's clarify this. So she, I remember when I was quite young, she said to me, you know, Rachel, you would be so beautiful. Like you are beautiful, but you would be so beautiful if you just got a tiny nose job, just a little bit, just a little bit in the front. And, and if you just took that away, your face would be perfect. In her defense, she's from California. And she got a nose job when she yeah. was 25 and it changed oh, her she life. Did. Yes. Oh, and so, I didn't know that part. We shouldn't have said that out loud. But, um, <laughs> she, but the thing is like, I understand where that's coming from with my mother, right? Because I know her right? and because there's a relationship there. But I can also say to my mom, you know what, mom? No, I'm good. Thanks. And I don't take that personally. Yeah. I don't take it as being like, oh man, maybe my nose is really bad or maybe I need to. Right. No, because I, I recognize that this is a statement, you know, coming from a place of love. Now, when it's a stranger and it's somebody that I have no relationship with who says something like, hey, you know, if you, you know, when's that baby weight coming off? Like the, one of the comments that I read on, on one of these threads, um, you know, it's, it's like, uh, well, I'm working on it, <laughs> you know, and, you know, or, or, you know, that's, uh, yeah, well, I guess we're just going to have to be- get a bigger costume, you know, or whatever. Like, I, it, if you're going to toss something out at me, I should be able to toss it right back because that's what tennis is about, right? That's a game. Like if we're going to play a game, right? I don't know if uh, right thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not well, professionally, but it's but it's but it's intense to take apart where the inequities are, right? Mm, yes. It's, I mean, just I'm, and there and and every and every situation on based on context is different, right? Um, I mean, if going going back to the the story that you're referencing if there's um a female singer and a male general general director and in a phone meeting about an upcoming part the male general general director says to the female singer you know i i i want to know um how things are going past baby i want to know if you're back to looking the way that you did before because that's 
that's important to me. Like your physical appearance in this certain way is important to me, right? Um, the, the, the female singer listening to this might love hearing that. She might hate hearing that. But that's, that's not a strange situation between someone who casts performers and a performer For sure. to have. Like yeah. that could be, you know, there's, there's a conversation that's possible to have. Like yeah. I would love to cast you in this performer. role. Right. You know, I'm concerned. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, and it's all, it's, it's possible then you would hope it would be possible for the person on the other end of the phone to say, if they're talking like that, you know, I'm, um, I'm comfortable with that. I, I, I want to look that way too, or, you know, that's not going to happen anymore in this, in this part of my life. The way I look now is the way I look. Or, I mean, and this is arbitrary. They probably wouldn't be having this conversation anyway. But, but for, for that same person, that same general director to reach out and touch somebody in public directly after a performance and to say, still working on that baby weight, I see. That's a totally different conversation. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know what I, so that is, so it's, it's the parts, it's the parts of that that you want to unpack. And I do find that, uh, that some of the defensiveness that I hear as we move through this, this um, time that we're moving through has to do with that kind of um, discomfort and embarrassment um, that, that, that make people over-dramatize what's happening. It's like, oh, so you can't say anything anymore. No, you right. totally like, can. No, you just have to think, yeah, you, you, have to, you have to think about relationship. You have to think about context. You have to think about, you have to think about a lot of stuff. And the fact is many, many people in the world, in fact, most people in the world, in most situations have to put a lot of thought into this, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's yeah. Just, there's, you know, so it's, it's always, no matter what the context, it's always hard if you felt like you were on the top of the heap to have to, you know, examine the extent of your privilege and examine you know, the, the extent to which you think other people don't have the same leeway you do, and then to make a commitment to change it. But well, and when you're in that position of power, like it's your job, I think, to figure out the best way to foster a community, right? Like right. If, you, if you are a general director and you need to have that conversation with someone that says, hey, you know, and you have a private conversation with them and you say, you know, you know, you just had a baby. It's so great. You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? What can we do to help you? Like, is there, you know, is there something that, that we can do to help you get where, where we need you to be physically in order for you to be able to, to sing this role, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, a, that's a totally different conversation, right? That's like night and day. So, yeah. Right. I still am uncomfortable with most parts of that, but, <laughs> yeah. but that's a totally different conversation. That's yeah, a, but I mean, but uh, isn't, but isn't that the case though? I mean, as a person whose job it is, is to market, right? And you're marketing with people, your people are your product and you want to have the best kind of product that you can, then is that is that not a conversation so so you so you're uncomfortable with that so what what do you think the better thing to do is just say like whatever like you sound glorious just sing i mean in an ideal world i feel like well, yeah like who cares we're in a world of 40 years ago <laughs> yeah before i mean before the met in hd you know i mean a lot of things were different i don't know i think um i think uh beauty and different standards of beauty for men and women have always been a part of the conversation. Mm. Um, uh. It's just, it, it's, it, it's, it's not that, it's not that um, physical appearance and size and everything else aren't part of the conversation. It's the different ways in which this is talked about. And specifically um, the whole yeah. but there's room for maybe more diversity within you know, what Violetta should look like. Oh my God, like in every way. And the least interesting kind of diversity is whether you weigh 130 or 150. But yeah, I mean, diversity of body size, diversity of race, diversity of just diversity. Um, yeah. So that's a, that's a hard thing, right? Because we have this really limited repertoire if you're looking backwards um, mm. 
and that it means that we have like archetypes from the 19th century archetypes that are maybe not so useful to us anymore sure. you know damsel in distress knight in shining armor angry rejected guy uh really hot slutty girl and and the vocal types that go with them um so <laughs> that that already is a really narrow way to approach vocalism and preparation of acting and body type you know it's already mm. super super limiting so um one of one of the it's 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 interesting maybe to a certain extent to talk about what Carmen has to look like or what Turandot has to look like, but for me, I'm way more interested in like getting a lot of new repertoire written that doesn't deal with any of those paradigms because mm, that's where diversity is actually going to come. Hmm. Okay, I like that conversation. Maybe we could take that a little further. Okay. What, how is that going to happen, Kathy? I, I mean. I am sitting here, you know, bashing out Donana, um, no media for like the 50th time in the last two weeks, yeah. <laughs> just trying to get it ready for an audition <laughs> on Saturday. And um, I'm just like, why do we keep doing the same operas over and over and over again? I mean, I, I love Mozart. I, I'm not going to say I don't love yeah. Mozart, but yeah, what is, what's the, what's the future looking like? What do we have out there? You know, better than I do. There are prospects. Well, there are there are a couple of things at play. One is just um, the idea that there persists an idea in the classical arts. Um, so this isn't just opera. I mean, certainly this affects symphony as well. There's an idea that um, the, the great works are the ones that have sort of stood the test of time. So there's, there's really an idea that the, the, popularly played canon that we all know now, you know, Don Giovanni, Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony, Beethoven's Fourth Piano Concerto, all of that stuff. The reason that we still have that stuff is because it's the best stuff and all mm. of the best stuff survived. And stuff that didn't survive didn't really deserve to survive. Um, so that... Darwinism. I, I, would, <laughs> yeah, I, would, I, would never, I would never argue that those pieces are great. Of course they are great. And I do think that, you know, I mean, Giovanni's a great opera and it's a part of the reason that we still do it. And, you know, so is Figaro and, and you know, many, many things that are very old. Um, yeah. But that kind, of, that kind of story of why we have our canon um, negates, um, you know, the many people who didn't have the chance to create things back then or people who have the chance to create but didn't have their creations like held up and declared genius creations by other people and, you know, and like repeated a lot so that everybody got to know them so that they, there was a lot of familiarity with them so that people felt really comfortable declaring that they were like standard genius works. You know, you know, there, there are a lot of factors at play. Um, the, the problem is, is that we, we, we tend to lose the courage of our convictions when we talk about, things that we don't know and familiarity mm. is a big part of why classical musicians like classical music because they mm. like the fact that they know it. so mm. the, and and that's not that's not true with everybody I mean I think a lot of people who are into spoken theater are into coming and hearing something that they've heard before yes yes you know or when or when they go to Macbeth they don't spend any time going well, this doesn't look like Scotland in the 14th century. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So there, there, there are art forms where the audience and the participants are not so married to the past. And then if you put that together with like social movements, most of the people who are paying for what we do are mm. from a very different generation than the people who are doing the creating right now, right? right. So I'm not, I'm not saying that it's impossible to approach the canon with new eyes or with like diversity of thought or casting, but the stories, um, they, they, kind of, they kind of take different forms, don't they? I mean, back in Mozart's time, you have like the slightly dissolute noble people and the spunky servants, and then you get into the sort of knight in shining armor stories in the 19th century. And then in the 20th century, it's like crazy women and the people who die after they have sex with them. And, and, and so, I mean, that's, 
that's cool, but <laughs> but like I I do feel like people are really, uh, there's there's a lot of great composition happening today, and many of many of the roles that are av- available flesh out um, all of this. I mean, we need so we cool. need music of our time to play yes. like who we are. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, so, I thought about that. A lot. There's a as I've like looked at certain roles and thought about, you know, we live in a time when this idea of, you know, in some ways of modesty or of, you know, you know like a, a woman's virtue, like what does that actually mean? Like, mm-hmm. and right in today's society, what is, what is virtue and how do we right. portray that? And how do we, in a way that feels authentic to, to an audience of today? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so well, we have our, our stories, where are the stories of this generation? Because and I wonder if part of the reason why there's a fear um, is because for, you know, a significant chunk of the 20th century, classical music took a turn for experiment in, into experimentation to the point where, right, melody was just kind of like an idea instead of, you know, something mm-hmm. that, that you could actually follow. And and I think that it's taken a long time for people to to be willing as audience members um, and as people who are putting the money into it to step into what is quote unquote new in order to, uh, you know, it, because they, they, they're like, okay, well, is it, is it tonal? Can I, can I hum it? Mm. Like, am I, you know, is this uh, how but, avant-garde are we talking? I, but is, but my question is, are those people or like, is that people in general or the, is that specifically people who like, knowing things already yeah, for I sure. don't have an answer right. to that yeah that's a, that's, um, yeah, but that's a great question <laughs> especially since the the non um the the sort that that sort of like super experimental new music uh that you know where there was a big divide between like the canon and like the really weird stuff I mean that that's already like well over a generation into the past yeah it's not, I mean, experimental music is still being written. I mean, Philip Glass, Nixon in China is 1986. Yeah. You know, um, and and throughout that time, like Douglas Moore, Carlisle Floyd, you know, have there Samuel Barber, all the time since the Second World War, there's been very, very tonal, like traditional opera right. being written. Um, so, um, people people keep on trying to find the formula right i mean and this is actually this is actually what i think a lot of the discussion about bodies in opera comes from like opera started to lose more some of its market share so people looked around and said everyone on tv is skinny everyone should be skinny <laughs> like there there's there's the solution right. you know and it's not but no. you know but but it certainly is something that you can quantify and talk about, isn't it? It mm. certainly is something that you can speak about with authority as right. opposed to taking apart, like, like why our art form is kind of slipping, you know? I mean, that's, people would rather talk about that than, well, you, you know, know I, we, we the, had this, this touches on an, as a, a bit of a conversation we had with another guest um, we, we were speaking with last week um, or, and she is a mother of two kids and she's mm-hmm. an opera singer. And we were chatting a little bit about, about, you know, how does art, how does art suffer, uh, you know, in opera specifically, when you have people who aren't able to interpret because they don't fit a certain paradigm, right? Because they don't fit within the, the yeah. parameters that you've set up. And, and, you know, when it comes to being a mom, like, if you, you know, it's like, well, I, I would love to come and do this production. And she was saying, I'm not, I'm not willing to leave my family for six weeks and they're not willing to give me a suite, you know, or like, right. Right. You know, or a, a place right. to send my kids to a daycare where, you know, when, when you have, you know, most major companies that exist in the world in the, you know, in America, at least to have some kind of, you know, some kind of, whether it's, you know, I mean, and the bare bones is a maternity leave that's required, right? For three months, usually six weeks to three months. Right. Or, but right. what about when you're going on a job somewhere? Is there something that could be created so that you actually involve artists that are multi-dimensional people? 
Like that aren't just, you know, circus performers traveling, doing this and having nothing else in their lives. I I mean, it sounds like, I mean, maybe that sounds really terrible, but like the thing is, how many performances have we been to that have been so uninspired and the voices were beautiful, Mm -hmm. but they're uninspired. And I think it's because where's your life? Do you know what I mean? I think that's... I I think that's part of it. And part of it might be just like not having time with one another, you know, not having, not having time in rehearsal. But also I think part of it is that the repertoire is really old. Yeah. I mean, how, how are you supposed to do an inspiring performance of Faust? Mm. Do I think Faust is a bad opera? No. Um, Do I think Faust is a, is the telling of a Faust story through a very specific cultural and, you know, time uh, through a very specific cultural lens. Yes. Does that culture have a lot of resonance with mine? No. Um, So, I mean, I think, I wonder, I, I totally get your point, but I think that part of it too is, you know, does this repertoire actually speak to us? Is that why we're putting it on? I would I would say that for a lot of the stakeholders and a lot of the audience out there, it's not why they come. And that and that's maybe the big disconnect. It's sort of like, you know, um, opera versus Broadway. Um, it's a, that's a terrible analogy, so don't use it. Um, <laughs> um, but 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 OK, um, I don't know. Do you do you guys know about Laura Kaminsky's opera as it's been billed as, as the transgender opera? As what? What is it called? As as one. As one. Okay. No, I'm 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 not familiar. So, it's a piece for it's 75 minutes long. It's a piece for two singers and string quartet. Mm -hmm. Um, she wrote it uh four years ago, um, as part of the um prototype festival, and last year it was the 14th most produced opera in North America. Mm -hmm. So. Um, and it wasn't produced on any main stages. It was produced usually, usually as an adjunct of a season. But I don't think that people are grabbing onto that piece for any other reason than the piece is like strong and meaningful and says something about like our lives right now, about gender identity and about um, the search for oneself. So I think, I think people are hungry for meaning. Yes. And, and when you have a topic that is, you know, that requires a lot of of thinking and depth and you're able to produce it um, with very few people, you know, it's, it's a very Mm -hmm. manageable thing to put on. And I would think that you need to, for a topic that is, you know, controversial or just challenging in some way like you need to be able right. to right you need to be able to produce it um as as right. a thing potentially I think. so you're so you're you're walking like right into the center of of this whole thing right we in order in order to get a new relevant story on stage you want to make sure that it's written for that are reasonable and affordable so that a company will take a chance on it because they don't have to sink a ton of money into it. They'll produce it in this adjunct way. So like turn that on its head. If you're going to produce Faust, you know, just since we're picking on Faust, um, that's, that's a ton of money, right? You need to have singers that you're that your audience is going to be excited to see. So there are those fees. It needs to look cool. You need to have a chorus. You need to have the big orchestra. So suddenly we're talking about like tons and tons and tons of money, right? Mm -hmm. Which means that everything about the way you do it is going to skew conservative. Mm -hmm. Because, because, because if you have to have a return on your investment, you want to make sure that, you 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 want to feel like you've got a you've got a pretty sure bet going forward, right? So you're gonna you're gonna stay with casting choices that you've made before. You're probably not going to, you know, you you probably will think twice before um, 
choosing somebody that doesn't look like the marguerites that you've cast before that doesn't look like the fausts that you've cast before doesn't sound it's, and, just and, like. and yeah <laughs> yeah exactly so i wonder i wonder if that it, it i think all these things play together in the really great thing you said you know like like performances that are less than the sum of their parts everybody's doing a good job but it's not catching fire it's because mm-hmm. It, it's because it, it actually hasn't been put together in order to catch fire. It's been put together in order to not have anything too controversial so that most people will basically like it. Right. Yeah. Does that make that sense? doesn't sound like art. Well, <laughs> well, well, I think, but, but there's the crisis that we face, right? As, um, so what do you what do you guys think is the difference? Because like theater companies, they do plenty of really old stuff. They do Moliere and they do Shakespeare. Why are they not mm. in the same bind? Hmm. I, I, I okay. I'm gonna weigh in real quick. So do um, I feel like I feel like theater people are different from classical artists of any of any variety, and in that we are learning. Um, sort of this stock well and the thing is theater people they do learn the stock things just like dancers who do ballet first theater people learn their Shakespeare (laughs) and and we learn our but we just don't really ever get beyond those I I mean I feel like we we do continue to go back to the the 18th and 19th centuries a lot in the early 20th century for for most of the opera that's done the the most you know Mm -hmm. most commonly um but I do find uh, even for myself as someone who is on the conservative side of things and under, and I've accepted, you know, this, this paradigm of opera companies always doing these same, you know, I I'm subscribing to this, whatever it is, whatever we want to call it, this conservatism. Uh, But I have, I have had some opportunities to perform works that were composed in the late 20th century and the 21st century and have found so much freedom in my own artistry in performing these works, some of them very difficult, but, but, you know, vocally difficult, virtuosic, but did not pose any sort of difficulty for me because I was able to interpret them more freely and more according to who I am and what I can do. And it was so empowering, whereas I feel so much like my hands are tied when I'm, I mean, I, as I said, as I said, I love Mozart, but I do feel like I'm kind of getting into a little bit, I'm volunteer voluntarily getting into a little bit of a straitjacket when I go to do that kind of stuff, because there are so many expectations for style and, you know, those melismas, they got to stay right in time. And, you know what I mean? There's just, anyway, it's, right. it's more I, sorry, restrictive. Yeah. And I, I feel like theater people, for whatever reason, they think outside the box. I think it's just their personality. I, I think people who are, who gravitate toward the theater tend to be those people who are a little on the, and I don't, this is not derogatory, a little on the weird side. Like they're people who just don't care what you think of them and they explore things and they look at things from different angles. And, you know, sometimes you're sort of taken aback by their sense of freedom. Um, but at the same time, this is, these are the people who are bringing us this cutting edge sort of, um, sort of art that's fresh and it's relevant and it feels like it's our story, right? It feels like it feels more human and it feels more, um, more accessible. And it's like something that can actually touch us because, it, it relates to now and not 200 years ago. <laughs> well, I think also, right. I think also with theater, um, play is such a huge element. Yeah. And play yeah. improvisation is, is something that, you know, I remember once in an acting class, I performed this scene and after I finished, the teacher said, um, you know, congratulations, you, you were in the moment and like he said, you brought the weather in with you. And I remember thinking like, I'm not quite sure what that means. But in subsequent years, as I've thought about it, like I, it's true that as I said the lines, I was not quite sure what the next part was going to be emotionally. Like I knew what I needed to say, but I didn't know how I would feel. And I think with theater, um, and I think with theater not having as much of a problem as with opera, we are doing works in languages that we speak. And so it's, there's not, you know, there's not a language barrier. There's not as much of a cultural barrier, maybe because of that. 
And also, <laughs> I, did, I was at La Scala last week, you guys, and I saw Don Pasquale, and I'm reading the libretto, and I just want to pull my hair out. I'm sorry. I'm like, what? Yeah. Why? Why? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and, and I, I mean, it's like so many. The, 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 <laughs> I know. I know. Seriously, like fun, fun and games with elder abuse. Um, <laughs> but, 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 but the other thing, the other thing that we have that that. I mean, that is the heart of what we do, but also keeps us from the kind of freedom that, that actors have is the composition itself. Yes. We're, not, we're not in charge of our own timing. No. You know, like, like you said, hmm. there, um, the, like you said there, are, there are all of these requirements for the repertoire of the past. And some of those, you know, some of those are dumb, like, you know, this is how much I think banana has to weigh. Um, and that's actually not about the past. That's about the present. But yeah. um, some of them are just like the actual demands of the music, right? And and yeah. you were t um, yeah. you were talking about being in a theater class and really like being in the moment. That only goes so far in the performance of a composed piece of music, right? You're never right. actually in charge of your own timing, or you're very, very rarely in charge of your own timing. Right. And it's really so, scary for the conductor yeah. and for if you decide to, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna feel this one, okay, guys? <laughs> you know, that's, like, yeah. that's unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's something that can work totally well in Seco Recitative, and it can't work in Salome. Right. You know, that's so yeah. so I so there's there's another thing, there's another factor I think to um in the move toward smaller compositions um mm -hmm. these days that can be done in spaces outside of theaters. Um you know, some of that is driven by economics, but also some of it is driven by <laughs> artists really wanting wanting stories that are more relevant um in in uh, configurations where they've got some more flexibility um, to go back to as one that piece is structured that way there are there are many many moments that have to be controlled by a conductor and many that do not yeah. so mm -hmm. it's it's weird it's kind of it's a little it's it's not like recitative and aria but it's a little bit more like a mozart opera in that fluctuation between you know things being controlled by a baton and things not and huh. really being controlled by the singers um so i i don't know i mean there, there's there are all of those elements right um what does that have to do with like in, into, in institutionalized sexism just that yes. if, if a lot if if a lot of your work is skewing conservative and is about tradition and the way that we've always done things and the economic stress to continue to do things that way but even faster maybe with even fewer questions then you're going to keep on you know kind of throwing back in 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 your testing and your attitudes and your work relationships you know things are going to continue to sort of skew backwards instead of skew forwards i think so here we find ourselves significantly behind other um professions yeah yeah, yeah I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah, I, I actually was just, I've been thinking the last five minutes or longer, actually, probably um, my actually, my call dropped off for like three minutes there. And I when I came back and you were talking about the new work oh. that was about um, uh, someone, a transgender person and um, yeah. talking about, yeah. And, and I was thinking to myself, you know what, this is, this is the conversation. This is the same, it's the same thing that's going to promote the paradigm um, it's people getting in touch with themselves. It's about authentic relationship to the self and to other people. And that's what requires that effort that we were talking about where people have to actually be real with each other. Mm -hmm. And this is something that, um, I've always loved about you, Kathy, and I've known you now for, um, how long has it been? Uh, 12 years or something almost. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I love the way that you keep conversations real. And that's actually a huge part of what Rachel and I want to do with the transparent, the, the transparent singer and this operation opera podcast is, is have, um, dispense with pretense. And, um, so our, anyway, and we just, we want to have real conversations. And so I love that this kind of came full circle also because I, I have to run in the next couple of minutes, but, um, um, 
but I love that this is, this is what it is. It's our, our art form, um, uh, bringing it up to speed to be able to aid this paradigm shift, right? And kind of as yeah. artists speaking out and putting in that effort to have these conversations. I started a book over the weekend called Critical Conversations, and it's about speaking oh, up. Cool. Because everyone will recognize the truth and then they will actually feel happier and more comfortable once that's kind of out on the table. But figuring out how to say those words is the hard part. Yeah. And figuring out, like yeah. you, can, you can know what it is and you can complain, it, complain about it to your colleague or to someone else, but until you actually talk yeah. to the person who you need to talk to in a way that they can hear, nothing is going to change. Yeah. yeah empowering people. Yeah. So, you know, you having hard conversations is essential and people should f leave those hard conversations feeling like they can move forward. Right. And figuring out how to yeah. do that is, is, uh, important. And not just that change is possible, but that it's necessary. And that if we're going to be honest with ourselves and with each other, we got to do it. We got to find a way. And yeah. we can be united in yeah. that. And going, just quickly going back to this idea about, you know, with, with we, you know, we started out talking about mothers and, and, and in, um, in opera, like what, Kathy, what would you love to see? Like with regard to this? Um, I would love, I would love to see situations in which, um, I, I mean, this is, this is large. I'd, I'd love to see us moving toward a society in which um, childbearing was seen as part of what people do, not necessarily part of what everybody does. I mean, I don't have kids, sure. but, but, but to, but if, if it was possible to, I don't, I don't know what that means in terms of nuts and bolts. I don't know if what if it means like daycare available at opera companies or, you know, just having a setup in different cities where it's possible to have children taken care of or have children at work. Um, I just, I worked on a production um, a couple months ago where um, because of some unexpected circumstances, it was necessary for, the woman, one of the, one of the two leads to have her kids with her, um, along with their nanny in most of the rehearsals. Um, and it worked fine. I mean, we just yeah. all realized that there were going to be kids there and, um, you know, there, there was some, you know, we didn't have to take care of the kids. There were, there were people there to take care of the kids, but she was nursing and, um, needed to be able to nurse. And so yeah. we just, like everybody decided that that was the way it was going to be and it was fine yeah the whole nursing, it was really fine the shaming of the nursing culture is something that just totally baffles me it's like people this is part of what it is to be a human <laughs> I, I think I think I think one of the most intense stories I don't know if, if you saw this on my thread was from Aaron Wall who's a, a very successful soprano and the the wife of the the man who's the um the artistic administrator, yes, the head of artistic administrator of the Canadian Opera Company. Mm -hmm. um, she is undergoing breast cancer treatment right now, which she's mm -hmm. been very open about. She's not hiding that. Um, she said that that ever since her diagnosis, she's run into zero trouble with any of her contracts. People, and in many cases, companies have contacted her to see mm -hmm. what she needed, to say, if you need to pull out of this, this is cool. If you, you know, if you think you can do it, that's cool. How can we help arrange for, you know, doctor visits for you while you're in our town? Wow. You know, what do you need in rehearsal? But nobody has assumed, you know, she has cancer and no one has assumed that she doesn't know what she's capable of. Yeah. When she had each of her two children, it was a completely different story. Yeah. Like company, companies canceling contracts without, without having conversations with her. Wow. Um, people, people arguing with her when he said, you know, of course I'll be able to do this when I'm six months pregnant. Well, are you sure? I mean, you know, uh, turning it in, turning it into like a liability conversation or right. um, so it's, you know, being pregnant is not having a disease, but yeah. um it was just very profound for me to hear that she had much more like pushback and weirdness and 
like unwillingness to like talk to her or help her out when she was pregnant as opposed to when she had cancer. So, yeah, um, fascinating. So, I mean, yeah, this, there's, there's something that touches on like partners actually having equity with one another and society not assuming that all childcare is going to fall on women. Um, yeah. 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 So I don't know. I don't know. Other countries do it. They do better. Like probably not perfect, but they do it better. Yeah. It's not. So I I would just move in that direction. It's amazing here in Austria, like women get two years off when they have a baby and the men can get six months off as well. Like they won't be there. You know, they won't be able to be quite as long, but I mean, geez, like that would be pretty awesome (laughs) if we could have something like that in the States, right? Right, exactly. You know, even if we had like a little baby version of that, that would be great. Start. I mean, and I realize like Austria only has like, what, like 8 million people in the entire country and we have that in like, you know, Manhattan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but but yeah just to just to start just to start i mean we have started it right we yes. conversations about actual equity and actual diversity um are going to mean if that's if that's what we really want in our workplaces and in our society we're going to have to change the way that the structures work yeah because the structures support what we have had you know and we and and we are in the middle of constant change right um but I don't know it's a time of great opportunity it's a very I got to tell you that there are conversations happening today that I couldn't have imagined when I was in my 20s so I feel really really psyched about it I I feel the same way I mean even just you know five years ago couldn't have these conversations you know the uncomfortable experiences Mm. with with you know directors or whatever you know had had you know when uh, the we did a me too podcast and i you know i was sharing some stories about times when like you know part of the reason i didn't get to sing the first performance of of a show was because you know there was a, a difficult relationship with a person in a position of power do you know what i mean and it's like Oh gosh. These are the things that happen and it happens all the time, but we, we don't talk about it because we are told not to talk about it because you want to be a person that is hireable. You want to be someone that is easy to work with, but right. Should be also, you know, just be a person. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Imagine. 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 Yeah. Um, That's so great that, that so you said you posted six things on your yeah. on your blog is there anything that you would yeah. feel comfortable sharing here that 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 was maybe the thing that so many people you said like so many people commented to you and and you have all of these young 20 something students like what what was it that um that you think was it just the fact that you were open or was there something specific there, there were two things um there were two things that really seemed to that people commented on um, kind of equally. One was, um, it was it was right at the end of my master's degree. Um, I played through my final recital for my teacher, whom I adored and who was a very important mentor to me and who taught me so much about playing the piano, somebody that I admire to this day. Um, I played my program through for him. And when it was over, I turned... I I looked at him and he was beaming at me hmm. and I thought, and it was like an obvious expression of approval. So I smiled and got ready for the compliment. And he said, Kathleen, you are so talented. It is too bad that you're a woman. Mm. And I think he saw the shocked look on my face and immediately like held up his hand and said, Oh, Oh, don't, don't take that the wrong way. Don't take that the wrong way. And I thought, how do you take that the right way? And he explained what he meant. He said, all I mean is you're, you're already married and, you know, soon I'm sure you'll have a family. So you've already chosen what's most important to you. Mm. And I'm sorry that it wasn't music because you really, you really are talented. You really could have gotten somewhere. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I realized that although he had engaged with me, you know, seriously, and he had taught me seriously, it had never occurred to me 
that he didn't take me seriously professionally. Yes. Like he took other people in the studio. Yep. That, that he, that he really didn't. And I didn't really see until I started talking to other friends that there were lots of like professional conversations and like connections that he had helped them make that he had just never, never done. He'd never had those conversations with me, yep. you know? Yep. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I mean, I was pretty clueless too. I didn't ask for those conversations, but you know, that's, that's the point. You know, you don't know what doors you're supposed to be opening. That's right. You don't know you what start. doors to knock on and you don't necessarily know how to knock on it or, you know, exactly what to say. And so it's like, well, how forward do I need to be? And no, I, I, compl- yeah. that, that I completely understand. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. A lot of people, a lot of people <laughs> said to me specifically that, that story right there. Yeah. Um, the other one was um, an early story from one of my first jobs. Um, I was assigned backstage conducting duties in Lucia de Lammermoor, mm-hmm. which are, which I can tell you right now, it's 16 bars of a horn quartet <laughs> that isn't synced up with the orchestra. It's offstage music where they're like, oh, listen to that. They're coming back from the hunt, you know? Um, <laughs> so so it, it was my first backstage conducting assignment. I was a young person on music staff um, at the San Francisco Opera. Um, and the very elderly um, conductor, Nello Santi, who was, who was conducting the performance, uh, when he found out it was me, he said that he wanted it to be one of the other assistants um, because he wasn't sure that I could do it. And um, why my my immediate supervisor, the head of music staff, said no, it was going to be me. And he said, well, um, basically, basically his demand was that I go to his dressing room before every show and demonstrate to him how I was going to conduct it. Literally, sixteen bars of music, two beats per bar. I had to stand in front of this guy and like conduct in thin air, not with the horns. I just had to go one, two, one, two, one, two, 16 times. Why? With him sort of like creepily smiling at me. Ew, because he could ew. make me do it. Sorry. Because he could make me do it. And, 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 and what, my, what my supervisor told me was like, yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of not cool, but he's an old Italian man. And there's, you know, it, it's silly, but it's not that big a deal. Just do it. And, you know, that's how you're going to get your chance. So, so, you know, at that point, I'm not a child. I'm, you know, 28, 29 years old. Um, I've, you know, like I'm working at a big professional opera company, right? Right. This is, this is a new experience for me, but it's not exactly brain surgery. Um, but I, but I've got to go in. You've been prepared. Eight shows. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got to go in eight shows every single time to the maestro's dressing room and show him how I'm going to, I'm going to hold up my hands to let the horns know that it's almost time for them to play and how I'm going to give the upbeat and how I'm going to conduct the 16 bars. I had to do it every performance. The strange power struggles that exist. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. And why? And so it, and but it's kind of, I think people commented on that because it's sort of a perfect example of, you know, I mean, there, look, there are so many awful stories of like people being raped and assaulted and, and actually as, as you've intimated, like, you know, do this or be this for me right. or I won't give you this professional chance. Right. 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 The, the, the story that I'm telling is murkier than that. Right. Like, what if I would have said, I'm not going to his dressing room. I'm not doing it. But it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful allegory. You know, it's a wonderful. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I would have lost that assignment or not. You know, I don't know what that would have done. I, I don't know what it would have done to my sort of, you know, reputation on the music staff. I'd, I was young enough in my career that, that, yeah, I did think it was important to like check out what everyone expected me to do and then do that you know, in order to be like a good team player. Right. But I also couldn't see the reason for doing this. Why was that necessary? More than once. Yeah. Like, why was it necessary? But like, I, I also can't, I also can't say, you know, and then the mice, I mean, like, like nothing happened. You know what I mean? He didn't touch me. He didn't say anything, but the, 
But it was a power. But, but it, was, it was a power but, move. The right? feeling was weird. It wasn't. Yeah. But but even in but even in describing it, like like in a court of law, what would what would be the damage that I could point to? You know what I mean? So that's right. so there's there's the situation that we're trying to find language to speak about. Yes. To, to talk about things like that in 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 language other than that made me feel creepy. Oh well, don't make such a big deal out of it. Right. It's it's it's, un, it's unpacking that conversation. That's yes. Important. The the, the, yeah. the sort of unspeakable things, the things that are you know, or how do you define? It's it's almost like it's like when you try to retell a dream. You know, you wake up from a dream, and in the dream, yeah. it's very clear. And then you wake up, and, and then you start telling you know your spouse, and you're like, and then this, and then you're like, oh, that doesn't make any sense. But like the feeling, it's the feeling. <laughs> it's about like how I yes. felt. And right. And that feeling does need to have you know there does need to be some kind there needs to be space for that right there needs to be space for someone to because there clearly was a power play being done and looking at you with this creepy smile it's like you know you have to do this because I told you to and if I told you that you had to jump on a ball while you you know why or like balance you know an apple on your nose or whatever like you would have to do it right I'm in charge and any right right? and anytime you know Sorry, go ahead. And the and no no and and then and the other part of that is the the supervisor essentially essentially letting you know well this kind of unreasonable and you know ultimately not useful demand on the part of this powerful and experienced person it like that I would rather just tell you to suck it up and do it than to go to him and say, you know, that's not reasonable. We're actually not going to make her do that. Yeah. You know, when you, so, 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 so the person on top is, you know, the, the whims of that person are more important than the, the discomfort that you feel, you know, and that's a choice. That's not, that's not, that's not necessarily the natural order of things. That's a, that's a system upon which we have agreed and continue to agree upon. Yes. Yes. The, the triangle and the person at the top gets to, you know, call all the shots and that person, you know, if that is the system that we buy into, if that is what we are going to promote, that person like has a responsibility. That's how I feel. I feel like (laughs) that person has a responsibility to, to a lot of people to treat them with respect and kindness and when they do that's when you foster a you know a creative experience that is uplifting and that is connected and yeah yeah that really can can bring a true artistic piece into the world i think yeah that sounds good to me let's do that (laughs) let's do that okay (laughs) That sounds good. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. This is this has been so great. I, I, uh, I hope we didn't veer too too far off the path. I think, um, but I think. Oh, I'll... I don't know. I mean, you're no, you've got the path going on. I just yeah. okay. Um, this is really fun. Yeah, this is I really hope it's, fun. I, I hope it's good material. I hope there's something that that no, you can use. Wonderful, and it is having these examples too. I think makes a huge difference because it, it sort of you know puts things into perspective because we've all been there, you know, in those situations where it's like yeah. you just don't feel good and you don't know how to talk about it. And having a space to talk about it and not be like, well, maybe I'm not just too sensitive. Maybe I just you know need to understand this. Right. Having a space for understanding. Yeah. So, so yeah. cool. Well, awesome. Yay! Well, yeah. thanks for asking. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. We'd, we'd love to chat more and, and, and cool. yeah, 